So I'd like for us to start with a word of prayer, then we'll be getting into the scriptures. So if you will bow your heads, prayer, open your hearts to what God wants to do this morning. Father, we come before you today with perhaps there's something on our hearts and our minds. We've come seeking you and only you. Because we believe in that seeking, that we will find some answers to uh, the questions that resonate in our hearts. Father, we come to you today, and knowing that we need you, we're here to have this connection with you. It's, it's about who you are and how you can help us in this life. And God, we come with great confidence knowing that whatever is on our hearts, whatever is, is troubling us or whatever we may go be going through or the confusion, God, you are bigger than that and you can help us and only you. And so, Father, we open our hearts we want to have ears to listen and a spirit that would be willing to follow your leadership and taking this moment as we hear from you directing our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Something cool we're doing through the sermons is that we are paralleling with the kids' club and the kids' ministry. So what we hear in this service, they are getting there in that service. And so parents, if you have young kids or grandkids there that are in the kids' club, you can talk about the sermon with them. And they have heard similar uh, storyline of what's going on. We call that the Gospel Project. There's also a, an app that you can uh, download called the Gospel Project. You can talk to the kids' club teacher, and uh, you can have devotions. And that's cool. I wish I, I want to go back and be a parent and do that with my kids and uh, have these devotions that are connected with the sermon on Sunday with their Bible lesson, and I think that's really cool. The storyline of the Bible is this. God's plan to rescue and redeem his creation through his son, Jesus Christ. We call that the gospel, the good news. We see this redemption theme revealed time and time again, and at times it seems that it is hidden in some of the stories. And today we're going to look at such a story with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. So if you have a pew Bible, you can find that in front of you or listen up as we go through uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we discover once again the gospel in 2 Samuel chapter 11. God's plan to redeem and rescue through his son, again, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So let me set the setting before you, uh, we get into reading some verses from chapter 11. So we go back, and as we begin at the front of the Bible, Abraham has been called by God to be used of uh, a man to create a nation, a nation that would be, that would be lifted up, and, and God would do a tremendous work, and 
through Abraham and his descendants that he would build this nation and he would work through this nation to bring himself uh, to mankind and to receive glory, but also to reveal himself to the whole world through the nation of Israel. Now, we live in a different dispensation. Today, we see that God is revealing primarily himself and working through the local church around the world, whether it's in America, whether in the Philippines, as we've heard, in Nicaragua, that God is revealing himself through the churches in these different parts of the world. So David has been made the king of Israel. Now understand, as we look at chapter 11, he has been ruling for about 20 years as the king of Israel. And he is about 50 years of age. Now, he would qualify for boomer night. <laughs> so he's around 50 years old, all right? He's not a novice. He's, he's been around. And, and, and right now, in this season of life, in chapter 11, as we enter chapter 11, he's left led a godly life. I mean, he has been a successful king. God has done some, some wonderful things through the life of David, establishing the kingdom. And uh, one by one, God is using David to eliminate the enemies of Israel. And in, so he's establishing it as a kingdom that, that they are entering into a time of peace, a time where God's blessings is flowing upon the country, the nation of Israel, and we could say life is good for David and the nation of Israel. It's good. They're rejoicing. God has his hand upon them, and they are just rejoicing and celebrating what God has been doing. And so we turn a corner here, though. That's corner I don't like to turn, but God puts it in the Scriptures. So we need to look at what God says about King David, but also it's helpful for us. If we could to take this chapter and we could, chapter, we could put some title on it, perhaps it would be David Files Spiritual Chapter 11. <laughs> or maybe it would be, David might even name it, the dumb, the dumb, and the dumbest thing that I ever did. Or David might say, you know, you know, this chapter 11, I would put this, David's one regret in life. You ever have one of those? One of those regrets in life? I've got Ray's, at least Ray's identifying with me. Me and Ray, we have one, at least one regret, all right? So here's David. And something happens to him that I think we need to pay attention to because it happens to all of us in one way or another. So chapter 11, and let's read verses 1 through 5, okay? So David says, or about David, it says in verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers, took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house and the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. 
It's not a very good picture here. I was just thinking as I was reading this and how that the kids club, I wonder how that they're teaching this lesson to the kids. I don't know. You parents, you're gonna have an you're gonna have an interesting story of grandkids about this story. Oh, oh it's a story. <laughs> and so I'm gonna leave that with you. And pray for you that you'll be able to interpret their little minds and questions about what does this mean? Oh. The Bible paints a very clear picture about who God is, is the revealing of God. That's why we have the Bible. But at the same time, in that same brushstroke that reveals God, it also reveals humanity, who we are. And the godliness, the holiness of God is revealed and pictured here, but at the same time, the depravity of the human nature and our weaknesses It's raw humanity, the flesh. And so the Bible is a truthful book. And so as it paints that, it paints the glory of God, the goodness of God, but also it also paints some of our lowest times as humanity at the same time. And then God does this. With the glory of God and the depravity of man, he brings them together. And only God could do that. Now, we're going to deal with sin. If we were to look at this, it's going to be like sin, if you take taking notes there with the handout, the sermon insert, 101. So this is like sin 101, right? If David can sin, we can sin as well. King David, blessings of God, who has, who has said that he is the friend of God. If David can sin, we can sin as well. So let's learn from David's sin how to avoid sin, not to learn how to do sin, but to avoid sin, and then how we should have the right response to sin. Very relevant message for us all, so we need to listen to this. Right, number one, sin happens in any season. Once you get to understand that, sin happens... At any time, any season. Here we have time, here we have David, and as he was uh, said that it was in the spring season, and it was in the blessings of God. It was at a time when when the, the that uh, man it was just prime for for what was happening and so forth. And so sometimes we think you know the the most time that we're susceptible to sin is in the difficult, the hard times. The times that, you know, we're struggling with God and all that. But understand this. It doesn't matter what season we are. We all have the ability to sin in any season. And so we see here that David, even though life is good and so forth, he um, um, commits adultery. He sins. Sometimes as we think about this in our prime time, in the times of blessing, there, it's a dangerous time because in that time of prosperity and success, we forget just how much we need God. It's okay to step back and relax. You know, I, I, I've got this success, 
Life has been good to me. The showers of blessings have been upon me, and, and, and the self-confidence comes in, and look what I have done, or look what I can do, and so forth. And we kind of get our eyes off of God and just look at what we've done. And we kind of get self-sufficient if we don't need God. That's a dangerous place to say. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8 and 9 says this. He says, he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. By the way, this is David's son saying this, Solomon. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Now, I'm going to translate that, that, for, that verse in verse 8. It says, all I need is just an in and out burger once a day, and I'm happy. I'm good. <laughs> But he goes on to say in the next verse, he says, For if I grow rich, I may deny you, God. And I say, Who is the Lord? And if I'm poor, too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So just give me exactly just the basic needs that that is okay, lest I be swayed one way or the other in those extreme conditions of life and forget who you are, God, or offend you. So my friend, we have the potential to sin in the greatest of times as well as the worst of time. Sin knows no boundaries. You know, throughout the scripture, God's word says that we are to watch. Remember when Jesus and the disciples, right before he was being crucified, the night before, he told the disciples, he said, I want you to watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. I want you to watch. And you know what happened? They fell asleep. And that word watch means be vigilant. Be on alert. Keep one eyes open. At 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be vigilant. Stay alert because your adversary, the devil, walks about a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so we're to be careful. What Watch in all season because even at the most successful time of our life or even at the lowest time of our life, we still have the ability to sin in, in any time in between whether we're a king or a servant, wealthy or poor, from the pulpit to the pew, no one is immune to sin. We never have a sin-free season. Let's read verse 1 again. All right? So it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to war, go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rib. But David remained at Jerusalem. I want you to notice the contrast as we think about David and the way that he came to a place to, that he sinned uh, with Bathsheba is that in verse 1, it tells us that he was um, staying back while Joab and in the season when the kings go out to battle. There's a great contrast here from going to battle and then from staying home. Now, I just think about why would David do that? I, I, I don't know. My, my guess, maybe he would say, you know, hey, I've got very capable leadership. You know, God's been good to me, and maybe he felt like he didn't need to go and so forth. Uh, maybe he was tired. Maybe he was uh, thinking that, you know, I, I've lost my edge. I don't know. For whatever reason, he decides, yeah, I don't need to go this year. Now, for, it seems to me and implies that for 19 years... He has gone to battle, as the other kings did. And this 20th year, he decides to like sit back, to, to put it in neutral here, and let others step forward and take care of the battle. 
Joab and the army engages in battle, and David disengages. David the warrior becomes David the vacationer. Perhaps this is the reason that made him susceptible to the acceptable to the temptation because he got off track, maybe lost his purpose. I, I, we're, we're kind of reading between the, the lines here in the scripture. But I, I know this about myself that if, if I'm not engaged in following what the Lord wants me to do, I really can get easily swayed to do something the Lord doesn't want me to do. I think that this is something that we can learn here. David's lack of encouragement makes him susceptible to, to, cheap, to cheap thrills. We can resist the enticements of the world when we are engaged with a higher purpose. Boredom of life could play into this. Bored and so looking for something of feeling, I don't know. Here's the thing that I do know about me and I know about you as a believer. God has created us to be engaged in his purpose in the battle. Always to be in gear, not in neutral to his purpose. And to be in neutral with his purpose is a dangerous place to be in. We are not designed as followers of Jesus, to live on the sidelines. We're to be in the game. Like this, what Robert Tuttle said this. He said this, he said, the Christian walk is much like riding a bicycle. We are either moving forward or following off. <laughs> I think that fits. David should have been under the lead there leading his army, eliminating another enemy to establish the kingdom of Israel in a more secure place. That was God's calling and so forth. And he decides to step back, put it in neutral with God's purpose for his life. We're always to be followers. We're always, as followers, we're always to be engaged in God's missions, God's purpose. And I understand that there are times that we must Step back and recoup and take a sabbatical. We should do that rest. Jesus did that constantly in his life, that, we, that he stepped back and uh, got alone, refreshed himself, and got alone with Jesus, and then went back and engaged. There are, that's that ebb and flow that we have with Jesus. But here is in a time when it would be better for David to be there in the battle, engaged in God's purpose, than to be back here at this place, and it cost him something. So number two is to be disengaged from God's purpose makes us vulnerable to sin. So we need to be engaged in God's purpose 
Now, I'm encourage you that if, you, if you're a kind of passive with what God is doing, may I ask you to consider that position to be engaged in God's purpose? There's a great purpose right here in Somos, right here in this church, that lives are being changed and God is doing a great work. Don't be passive. Don't be sidelined. Commit to that. Take that step forward. And if it's church membership that you need, or if it's, it's giving your heart to Jesus, or if it's just the spirit, you know, I used to do this and, and so forth, and you may not be able to do that anymore, but at least be engaged in something in the ministry and God's purpose, why we are here today. That we are here not to be bench warmers, we are here to be players in God's team. So I challenge you, to be engaged in God's purpose. If David had his attention where God wanted it, he would never put it where God didn't want it. And so David, here is, he steps back and he remains at Jerusalem. Notice in verse 2, it says, so, so then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So here's David. Now, in the Hebrew form of the word walk suggests that he paced back and forth on the roof. Now, if that was true, then why would he be doing that? Well, maybe he was restless. Maybe he was thinking about the army. and Maybe he was just bored. I don't know, but he was there walking back and forth on the roof. He had been disengaged in the purpose of God, and there he was on the roof, couldn't sleep, Whatever reason, he's up there walking back and forth, thinking. And he looks and he sees a woman bathing. Step number three or point number three in your notes, temptation is not a sin. Just because temptation comes along and we see something and we're tempted to do something, that in itself is not a sin. Jesus was tempted three different times and we know that Jesus never had never sinned in his life and so forth. And we know that from Jesus' life. Temptation is not a sin. Number four, yielding to temptation is a sin. Giving in, pursuing, thinking about it, uh, contemplating in your mind is a sin. So here's David. Sees Bathsheba. This, the Bible says he's very beautiful. Sees her and to behold, looks at. Now notice, as he says here, he, David sent and inquires about the woman. A key to this message, and from David, that we can gather in our own life, is this, our Number five, our response to sin is run. Run. Don't embrace, don't linger, but run. Put distance between yourself and the temptation to sin. David was walking on the roof. He no doubt had to be at the edge of the roof. He lingered there. He thought about it, he saw, and he flirted with sin there on the edge. The other night, Joe's brother Jimmy was talking about Joe falling off the roof. 
So I have some great advice for Joe. Don't fall off the roof. <laughs> it's a very serious thing that he was talking about. When you're on the roof, don't be on the edge of the roof. That's the place where we fall off, right? Pull back from the edge, and hopefully we won't fall off. The most precarious place on a roof is on the edge, isn't it not? So we see a picture of sin here in our life is that so if we get up to the very edge and we think, you know, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just looking. I haven't done anything. That's a very dangerous place because that's the place that we fall off. And so David here is there. And, and this doesn't this is just not a, this is about sin generally. This doesn't have to be about adultery. This could be about anything. It could be uh, um, stealing. It could be anything that we have this place where we come to the edge and think about that, that I'm going to maybe steal that or be dishonest about that or t- say that lie, so forth. And we come to this edge. David should have ran. The Bible tells us in the Scripture that we're not to, we're to resist temptation and so forth, or we resist the devil, but, it, but the Bible doesn't tell us to encourage us to fight with temptation, to fight with sin. He tells, the Bible tells us the opposite. It says, here's what I want you to, you need to run from sin. You need to flee from sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, flee idolatry. Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, he says, flee youthful lust. Run away from that. A little boy named Willie, Willie's mother found him with his hand in the cookie jar, and she said, what are you doing? He replied, I'm fighting temptation. <laughs> Joseph, in the house there in Potiphar, the story on Joseph and how the, his boss's wife cast her eyes upon him, and she Um, tried to seduce him, and Joseph fled the house when they were all alone. That's what we need to do in our sin. We need to flee. We need to keep distance from that. Keep our hearts focused on the Lord, and when our thoughts and so forth goes to, to some sin and something, think we need to, what we need to come and go to make distance for that and go to the Father and say, Father, help me in my mind, and put footsteps to our thoughts of running towards the Lord. It's like our theme of, you know, run, Forrest, run from sin. This is what David should have done. Let's go on. Verse, uh, so, so David sent messengers, and he took her, and she came, uh, excuse me, let me read back to verse 3. And so David said, inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David said, who is this woman? I saw this lady bathing and so forth. And then one of uh, the servants or somebody spoke up and says, well, that's, that's uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Well, who's the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Well, in chapter 23, it tells us it is one of David's mighty 30 men. This was, this was a special person in David's uh, army. And so this was, and then it also it talks about uh, uh, her father, who some believe that may have been one of David's counselor, if it's the same one also mentioned in chapter 23. 
So that immediately should say that there is, this is a, a woman who is married and is married to your friend and perhaps even to your trusted counselor. This is their daughter, David. Don't go there. David ignored the warning sign, and to ignore the warning sign is fatal. To ignore warning signs. You know, God wants us to be successful. God wants us to live a clean life, a righteous life, and so forth. And he will put things in our life to help us to to not go over the edge, to, to pull back. He will do these things because he desires for us to live a righteous life. He desires us to live a blessed life. And he will work at putting things in people and have people in our life for us to not sin. But what we have to do to sin, we have to go around these warnings to commit that sin. And the mercy and the graciousness of God does that for us. Let's go on. As we find here, and the woman conceived in verse 5, and so she sent and told David, I'm a child. I'm a child. So the sin has been conceived. A birth has been given. Let me say this about sin as a side note. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that there is an enjoyment of the pleasures of sin for a season. There's, there's this passing, but it's a passing moment. So when we look at sin, sin has a fun element to it. Don't I would imagine that David and Bathsheba had a great evening. Guilt, yes. Later consequences, Absolutely. But sin does have an element of fun. But sin also has consequences to that fun. And here's the last point. Sin always brings death. Sin always brings death. We have later on, do we find, if we read the story, that Bathsheba and this child from from um, this relationship, dies from that. We, we also see that um, not only an unwanted pregnancy, but the murder of a trusted friend. David had the husband killed, Uriah. Later on, his daughter is raped by a son, Another one is murdered by another son. Civil war breaks out after all this. Uh, all this because of sin had entered in, and then there's the fruit from sin David had committed. I'm just saying here that, yes, sin can be fun. And there's a season of that pleasure, but always it brings death. Death in relationships, Death to your, uh, hinders your relationship with God. Uh, all this that always brings us this separation, this death that comes along because of sin. So let's talk a, a little bit in final notes here, how to avoid sin. This is, I mean, excuse me, how to respond to sin. This is how we avoid sin. How should I respond when I sin? 
Well, what did David do? Uh, David, first of all, respond in the wrong. He tried to cover it up. Tried to have Uriah a Hittite sleep with his wife and so forth, and then try to say, yeah, it was because of their physical relationship. But, but Uriah the Hittite did not go with his wife, and David tried to cover up his, the sin there that happened in later on this chapter. And so he had the wrong response. Proverbs has a, a verse that I remember as a young man reading this, and, and it's this, says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's a tremendous verse that if we cover up sin, if we try to hide this sin and, and try to, that we will not prosper. David did that. Here's what we need to do. He confessed his sin to and against God. He confessed his sin, which is the right response. He confessed his sin to and against God. That is the right um, response. We see the gospel being revealed in this action of sin and how that God responds with mercy and forgiveness. Here's what happens. When I was a young man, about the age of four years old, God started to convict me about my need of relationship with Jesus Christ. And about four years old, I remember... Uh, through a series of events that God brought me to a place where I was convicted that I need Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross. And so I, I remember that going through that conviction of that, that I reached out and I accepted God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And you know, when I confessed, when I admitted that I needed Jesus and sin, the mercy and the forgiveness of God, that door swung open to me and as if I had never sinned, I mean, the cleansing of God was there. He gave me a new heart. I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. My relationship was established because I had a spiritual birth when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. My right response was, I'm a sinner. I confess, Jesus, that I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for my sins. And the mercy and forgiveness of God swung open. And God responded to me with that, that mercy, that, mer that forgiveness. He gave it to me. Now, fast forward. I tell you then, it's hard to believe this, but I have sinned since age of four years old. I am a little past 40. And, and I have sinned a time or two, just like you have as well. The Bible tells us that when we do sin, in 1 John 1, 9, written to believers, it says that we are to confess our sins, and he is just and faithful to forgive our sins. I love that. That mercy, that grace that, that renewing of our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ happens at that moment. So we are to not do what David did at the beginning, to fight, to cover up, to manage our sin. <laughs> That's ridiculous. 
try to manage sin and the consequences of sin, but we're to confess it, admit it to God, and it's like a, it's a new start. Now, now, understand this, that some believe that, you know, your relationship with God goes back and forth. You're, you're saved, not saved, saved, not saved. That, that isn't as true. You're born in the family of God once for all eternity. We, we believe in eternal security through Jesus Christ. But my relationship with the Lord, our fellowship with God, um, when we sin, we're to confess that and just keep that open to that. Just like my wife and I, once in a while we disagree, but we're still married even if we don't disagree. If she doesn't see the rightness of what I see, she confesses that. And our relationship continues on. Same thing was with God. Would you bow your heads in prayer? I don't know where you're at with this message this morning. God knows. And he has you here for a purpose. For this moment, to hear what is being said. And however it fits. If you're here this morning and you need to, to ask the Lord to be your Lord and your Savior, to, to accept, and, and maybe you've never recognized that you need what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And you'd be willing to open up your heart at this moment. Just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that you died for my sins. And I accept your gift of forgiveness and mercy. Perhaps you're a Christian and you've done that. But maybe there's something in your life right now that God has picked at you today. You're convicted. I don't know what it could be but it's hurting your fellowship with the Lord. Hey, this would be a great time to confess it. Perhaps you're here today and say, you know, things are okay. It'd be a great time to pray, God, help me to be vigilant, watching, so I don't fall off the edge. I don't sin. Not only for that, but maybe you want to pray that for one of your kids or for your grandkids or for your mate. This would be a great time to do that. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we're grateful for how you've worked in our life. And oh, you're so good, gracious, kind, patient with us, merciful. Help us, Lord, to deal with sin honestly, ethically, truthful before you. Whenever it happens, help us to have the right response that David had. And he confessed it. And God, you renewed his kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.